Welcome to the third season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and in this season, I'll be sharing conversations with educators and leaders who are making schools and classrooms more phenomenal than ever before by implementing community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment practices that promote agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. I am honored to share these conversations of innovation and passion with all of you. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, it is a great pleasure to have Dr. Andra Brill back on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. This season, we are diving into all the ways in which schools, leaders, and teachers can innovate to make schools even more phenomenal than ever before. Andra is an independent education consultant and a PEBC staff developer who strives to elevate the necessity of social and emotional learning, equitable literacy practices for all students, and culturally responsive leadership. Andra, welcome to season three. How are you today? I'm great, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited for this conversation. I know that over the course of the podcast that you have joined each season to kind of illuminate kind of the current state of what's happening with social and emotional learning in schools, and then also some really, really helpful suggestions for teachers, for parents, for school leaders. And so, you know, as we think about today and this fall and everything that's happening, I just really want to welcome you and your perspectives. You know, I know one of our podcasts in the past, we talked a lot about the impact that stress was having on students and teachers and school leaders. and we know that developing a rich and supportive community for learners and teachers is imperative for learning to take place. So I'm really curious from your perspective, because you work with so many teachers, you visit so many schools, where are we now? What are you seeing in classrooms and schools? And what are you hearing from teachers in this social and emotional learning space? So I think there's a really wide range of what's going on. But more and more what I'm hearing, I'm hearing things like, Andra, my third graders are out of control. I just read something that said that in elementary schools, teachers are reporting that kids are two years behind, um, not just academically, but emotionally and socially. Um, And in the secondary, in high schools and secondary schools, there's more fighting, there's more skipping class, there's that crazy TikTok thing going on where kids are actually ripping urinals out of the bathroom and doing all sorts of crazy acts of vandalism that we've really never seen before. So in And not everywhere, but in some buildings, there really is this sense that things are getting a little bit out of control and that it's hard to figure out how to pull it all back in. So we think about that and just those conditions, you know, coming into the school year, I know that everyone was, teachers were very, very excited to get back into the groove with their kids. And I know I've heard some of those same things from teachers. What is the impact, do you think? And what's the root cause? Like, what what's going on? So, you know, two different things, right? The impact and the root cause. So I think yeah. the, um, the root cause, I mean, it's going to be different, again, for everyone. But as, as a society, I think we can safely say that we have experienced some sort of collective trauma, meaning that there has been something that in most years, maybe it's just one or two kids have come in with some trauma. But this year because of COVID, because we've all experienced, or most of us have experienced some level of COVID anxiety over the last year and a half, it's, it's safe to say that um, 
for some kids, the past year or plus has felt really threatening, right? And we don't know, we don't really understand what their experience is, but it does mean that coming back to school is hard, that, you know, they're schedules are more rigid, there's less flexibility, um, you, you know, they're with more p- kids. For, for people who are more introverted, being, you know, being quarantined is not such a terrible thing. But then you, now you have to go back into a, into a building with, you know, hundreds or thousands of other kids. And suddenly, um, it can, it could all feel really overwhelming. So that re-entry that we might have envisioned with everyone excited to come back to school and connect with friends and classmates and, you know, really dive into learning maybe has been a little bit harder than we thought. I think that, for that some transition kids. for some right? kids. I, in some buildings, there really is a lot of joy happening, right? Mm-hmm. And people really are happy to be back in person and be learning together in, you know, with other kids on the, in the same classroom. And in some schools and some classrooms, you're seeing the opposite. You're really, really what you're seeing is high levels of anxiety and kids getting often what we see is, um, is kids having these big responses and big emotional re- um, reactions to, to what feel like really small little things. And that to me is always a little red flag to pay attention because it, it's a sign that, that, there's, that the trigger is probably triggering something that's actually traumatic rather than just having a bad day, right? Or rather than like things just aren't going well. Like we all we all have times when we feel like more depressed or a little anxious or, but there's something else going on because the reactions aren't matching whatever it is that's setting kids off. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it, when I think about that and I think about, you know, it's, it varies from classroom to classroom, from school to school, from teacher to teacher, student to student, day to day. Let's, um, if you don't mind, sh- kind of jump into a conversation about some strategies that teachers might employ that will really kind of help support this transition as we all return to school and remember how to do school again. Sure. (laughs) So Andra, how can teachers shape their environment to be more supportive of this transition? You know, I think, um, some of the things are things that we we normally do, but because of the the behaviors and um, and the ways that kids are responding, it's helpful to be even more intentional. And so, what we know, you know, like we know, classrooms need to be safe and predictable places. This year, I would say, if you're noticing that kids are having a hard time settling and that there's there's anxiety in your classroom, it's about making it even more predictable, right? So. What, everything we know about rituals and routines, about doubling down and really helping kids understand what the rituals and routines are. There's also something that I talk about in terms of, um, I call it my sci-fi solution, because it has to do <laughs> with time. It, it has to do with time and space, right? So we have this idea that like, oh, it's, tw- it's nine o'clock. Okay, so reading's over. It's time to move on to math. And for some kids, particularly if their nervous systems are already agitated, they actually need a little more time. So it is about like five more minutes, two more minutes, time to clean your stuff up. So giving kids time so that they can, um, really so that they can self-regulate. So that's the time part of it. And then the space part of it is 
we do this thing where we're across the classroom and we're like, hey, Michelle, can you make sure that you pick that stuff up off the ground? And even though it doesn't, you know, we don't, we're not actually yelling at anybody, our, our nervous systems, if we're listening, it sounds like someone's yelling at us. And so again, if there's any sort of trauma in the body, it can get triggered. And then suddenly you see a kid blow up and you're like, wait, I, I just asked you to pick your book up. It was no big deal. But suddenly this kid is now like angry and pissed and like throwing like, and so when I talk about time and space, it's about giving kids extra time to come, uh-huh. to do what they need to do. And instead of yelling across the classroom, the space thing is really about walking up next to someone and in a really sweet, calm voice, just being like, oh, hey, can you help me pick this stuff up off the floor? Or I need you to pick this up off the floor before we before we go to our next thing. Right? So really and concrete that makes pieces. Sense. Yeah, those are that's really concrete and it's really actionable. And I'm thinking in terms of creating that calm space right. where we can relearn the rituals and routines, how important that might be. Anything else when you think about environment? You know, the other thing that I think about in terms of environment is um, is setting up the classroom so that instead of setting up classroom rules, making sure that we're helping kids understand that they have responsibilities to themselves and to each other and to the class as a whole. Um, so I just like to think about that instead of instead of rules, and particularly instead of rules that start with no, right? We know um, over, we there's tons of research, right? That, and, and I usually explain it this way, that kids sometimes only hear the last word. So if we say, don't run in the hall, what they're really hearing is run in the hall. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Same so with my really, own kids at home. It, it's true. It's across the, this is like human, this is how we listen. So instead you would say something like in the hallways, we always walk. And so what they're hearing and what they're, their mind is paying attention to is walking, right? So just trying to um, phrase things in the positive when you're when you're coming up with responsibilities. I love that because again, we're developing this collective ownership of our classroom and of our space. So we double down on the rituals and routines. We really pay attention to time, kind of giving those intervals of time, space in terms of our proximity, and then kind of flip the script rather than rules that are no, no, no. We phrase those in a positive way and we turn them into responsibilities. Exactly. Wow. So I think those are three steps that we can all kind of reflect on and think about in terms of what is that looking like in my space? What might I want to shift? Another component, which I know I've heard a lot about lately, and I really want to hear your perspective on, is the role of relationships. I mean, I think we all know from John Hattie's research and years and years and years of research that having a relationship with an adult makes a huge impact on student efficacy and student achievement. And I can imagine right now that reforming those relationships in schools is more important than ever. But what does that look Absolutely. like and sound like? Such a good question. So again, there's, and you know, I think there are two different levels of behavior that we're talking about, right? We're talking like there are kids who are having a bad day or who, you know, are, are uncomfortable or things are, things aren't going smoothly. And then there are kids who really are bringing in like more trauma, more stress than they ever have before. And so 
what we're seeing is that in classrooms, instead of having like one or two kids, we now have five or six kids who are feeding off of each other and acting out. And so this piece about relationship becomes even more important, right? So it's this idea that really it's, we're in this to like human beings are social creatures. And so our nervous systems actually want to co-regulate with other people. So if a kid is losing it and then another kid is losing it and then, oh my gosh, we have like two more kids having something in the corner, then me as the teacher, like it's really hard for me to hold my ground, right? So the first thing, and we can talk a little bit more, but like feeling my feet on the ground, taking a few deep breaths. And then really thinking about relationship in terms of how much time am I spending with kids, right? Like yeah. those kids, the kids, and here's the thing, like I used to always say to myself, you know, none of these kids woke up in the morning trying to think how they were going to make me lose my mind. Like that was <laughs> not their goal for the day. It wasn't. But like, so clearly their behavior is communication about where they are developmentally and what they, what they need, either physically or emotionally or socially. Right. So one of the things that I would recommend sort of concrete is this two by 10, which is this idea of spending two minutes really one on one with kids who really need to have that relationship for every day for 10 days. And even if that means sort of having somebody else come and cover my class for two minutes or five minutes, or I can just walk around the hall for two minutes. But it is about taking the time and making time right? Because we, we know there's never enough time. So making the time to really connect one-on-one -on -one with the kids who actually need that relationship in order for their nervous systems to calm down, in order for them to feel, to really feel safe in your classroom, right? I think that is a really interesting strategy because that's an investment of about 20 minutes over two weeks. Exactly. However, I'm thinking about, you know, the teachers I know who are in secondary education and they have a lot of contacts. But I'm also thinking about the power of the workshop model and opportunities to confer. And so finding two minutes every day for two weeks with a student can help foster that relationship and help make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you might notice a change. And then maybe, you know, after Thanksgiving break, you're like, Ooh, we're back where we started. And so you would do it again. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's not a one and done kind of tool in your toolkit. It's something that you will pull out as you see kids, you know, kids, basically, they're either going to they're, they're when their nervous systems are activated, they're either going to show you fight, flight or freeze, right? So they're right. going to get aggressive, they might start shutting down, they might um, they might get really quiet and and just be, look overwhelmed. I mean, it shows up in so many different ways, which I think is part of what makes this so challenging. Well, it reminds me of a conversation I had with Jaylen Jenkins, and Jaylen is a science teacher in Aurora Public Schools, and she says that at the end of the day, if she doesn't have ten thousand steps, she hasn't talked to enough kids, because she is all about contacts with a lot of kids. And I can see this two by 10 can also happen outside of the classroom. It can happen in the cafeteria. It can happen at recess. It can happen before the school day starts during a soft starter when kids are coming in. Or if you're in a secondary setting, it can happen in an extracurricular event. So when we're really trying to make contacts with kids, it's about being really intentional to form relationships with our students, but then also noticing it 
when kids need a little extra or you might need to bolster up that relationship and then intentionally setting aside that time. Right. Right. Wow. And it's in some ways it's counterintuitive, right? So it's the kids who kind of, who are pushing your buttons the most. Mm-hmm. And, and most of us were like, wow, can I spend less time with that kid? Can I get that kid out of my closet? Like, like normal, this is like normal things that people would think, right? Like maybe this, it would be so nice, you know, the, or the kid's absent for a day and all you can think of is, oh my gosh, that was so easy. And so it's really about noticing all of that without too much judgment, right? It is really kind of normal when kids are having a hard time. And at the same time, um, I like to I like to think about being reliable and relentless and sort of mm-hmm. leading in to to being the grown up. Right. So we we do have to manage our own emotional health, but as the and as the adults, it's our job to really lean in and meet kids where they are with what they need. And mostly when kids are struggling the most with behavior, I would say nine times out of 10, they're desperate for a relationship for someone who really cares. Mm-hmm. Even if they say all the nasty things and they're like, keep pushing you away. That's really what they're hoping for. All right. So we've talked about the environment, which is the container. Yep. We've talked about relationships, which is that connection piece. Huge. We also know that there are some actions that we can do to help support or help de-minim- like kind of minimize some trauma-informed responses. So when we think about our own actions in the classroom, what are some things we should do and maybe not do to help students stay out of that kind of like you mentioned before, that, that, that behavior. So, so what are some preventative we, ideas? What we want to, you know, what we want to minimize are the moments where kids feel dysregulated. When, when their, their amygdalas are saying there's a threat here and then, then they actually lose the capacity to access they're, they're the cortex and specifically the prefrontal cortex with all the executive functioning. So we know that when kids are, are triggered and activated and have it, they're basically having like a tantrum, right? So right. whatever age they are, they're having a tantrum. But the thing to remember is that when they're in that tantrum, they actually, even if they wanted to, they actually cannot reason with you. So all this thing about like trying to rationalize and reason, if you've never if you've never had a uh, four-year-old tantrum or a three-year-old tantrum in front of you, let me tell you that in those moments, trying to reason is really what could because here's what's going on. You're trying to reason with the and with the most highly developed part of the brain. When really, um, when someone's that dysregulated, they're really only functioning in sort of the most basic part of the brain. And so the research tells us that what we first need to do is help them regulate, right? So just, and we do that, we use short, simple language. We, we, we actually stand with them and sort of let them feel with us. Maybe we slow down our breathing a little bit so that they can remember to slow down their breathing. So first we regulate, then we try to relate to them and we might offer some questions or offer a few choices or ask my favorite question is what do you need? But you can't ask somebody what they need when they're worried when when their when their brain is telling them that they're in mortal danger. Even if they're not, they're perfectly safe, but their brain is sort of firing off. So first we need to get them to regula- regulate, then we relate to them, 
and then finally you can you can reason. But you okay. we tend to want to reason first because that's who we are, right? And and then and then the situation actually gets worse. So um, so that's what they recommend. So that's interesting. So it sounds like some of the things we might want to do, like ask what do you need or what's the matter, actually could be the don'ts. Those are kind of the triggers. You got to wait. You got to, you have to wait until, um, you know, some way, sometimes we talk about it in terms of like an emotional storm. You have Mm -hmm. to wait until the emotional storm sort of calms back down, you know, and, you know, they're like, um, well, you have to keep yourself calm. One of the things to really avoid is telling anybody else to calm down. Mm -hmm. It it actually never helps. It has never helped anybody calm down. It seems super irritating. (laughs) Right. Right. Like if you're kind of having a hard moment or freaking out and someone tells you to calm down, it kind of feels like they're not really listening or paying attention to you or what you need or the situation. It feels insulting. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels that way for kids too. Absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm. So some of this sounds a little bit like you said earlier, like counterintuitive. Right. So So I I mean, in terms of... I was going to say, in terms of things to think about, like using short, simple language, asking questions, um, and again, waiting until you can reason with with kids, offering choices, and paraphrasing. So what you were Mm -hmm. saying about, you know, telling someone to calm down doesn't feel honoring. Listening deeply to what's happening and being really curious is is always helpful. So what are some of the don'ts then? So some of the don'ts. Again, for if if um, depending on what is triggering, but some of the don'ts are make sure um, don't stand over kids and talk down to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like again, if part of what's going on is that their nervous system is feeling threatened, then what you really want to make sure you're doing is getting down on their level so you can look them in the eye, right? Whatever that means, but you you just want to be conscious of sort of your physical space. Um, you know, often, and again, like traditionally, if a kid was acting up in the classroom, one, one way to deal with it was really to ignore the behavior. Right. And so for, for kids who may be struggling with neglect or who felt left behind or kids who have lost somebody during the pandemic, ignoring them is actually going to make the situation worse. So Mm -hmm. again, things that in the past might have might felt might have felt like they made sense or might even just felt more comfortable for us might make the situation worse. So I I would suggest not ignoring kids and not ignoring the behavior, but really again calming yourself down and gently helping kids sort of come back into their bodies. And then you know the last thing is we often use um we often set something up like with a special person or a, an adult in the in the building. Like if you behave or if you do your homework, <laughs> you can have lunch with the counselor, right? And so I want to, I just want to caution again, like it works for some kids, but for kids who are struggling with, with something that's a little bit bigger or more traumatic, basically what we're saying is, well, if you don't do your homework, if you don't like hold it together in the morning, then this one adult who you really love to spend time with is now no longer available to you. And so I, th- and that makes the relationship conditional. And, and again, I just, I worry that that actually doesn't get us what we wanted to get us in the long term. I mean, you just, you just shared a scenario where, you know, it, 
something that happens all the time that probably all of us in the classroom have at times offered those kind of experiences as rewards or withheld those experiences. But what you're saying with relationships and the crucial nature of those is that we don't want the relationship to be conditional, especially right now. Especially right now. And again, for some kids, it might be the right thing. But for when you're seeing more and more activated kids and more and more dysregulation, if that's when I would stop and, and sort of ask myself, what is really going on here? Like, mm-hmm. is, are, are the things that I, that I feel comfortable with or my tools that I know, are they really helpful or not in this moment? Right? Yeah. So like I said, we have our container with environment. We've thought about that personal connection with relationships. You just shared with us some of the trauma-informed responses or do's and don'ts, ways to help support kids who are experiencing a hard time. But with all of that in place, there are still going to be times when we might see an episode where, or an experience where kiddos melt down, where they have a really, really hard time. Um, They're highly triggered. If that happens in one's classroom, what are some de-escalation tips? Like if it gets to that point, we've tried everything so far, but we're in, we're in a situation where a kid is, everything is really escalated. Everything's escalated. Yeah. What can we do? First and foremost, it's, it's about remembering what you do and don't have control over. So you do have control over yourself. So first is about making sure that, that you're in a calm space. I always like to remind people, just feel your feet on the ground, take a few deep breaths. It's really about, again, like, Oh, I I need to be the grown up here. Right. Mm -hmm. So I need to notice what's happening in my body because I don't, I don't want to co-regulate into the student's dysregulation. I want the student to co-regulate into my calmness, right? Right. So that's the first thing. I know for myself, um, this idea of really respecting personal space, right? And um, so you do want to be nearby, but you don't want to get in anybody else's space. Because again, if, if what's happening is we feel threatened, then just too much close proximity can actually make us feel even more threatened, right? Physically. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a physical aspect to it. Um, we talked about avoiding saying, you know, telling anybody to calm down has never actually helped anyone calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, there's one thing that I have often used. And again, not, you know, it, you can use it to, it depends when you when when in the conversation you you notice what's going on, but sometimes kids are like, "Oh, I really want, you know, I, I I really want the red book," and you don't have any more red books. So one thing that I use, I just call it the magic wand, and it's like, "Oh, dude, I wish I could give, like, I wish I could give you the red book. If I had a magic wand right now, I would wave it, and we would have a pile of red books, and you could have a red book, and your neighbor could have, like, everyone could have a red book." So sometimes it's like this magic, like, I hear that this is important to you. I can't actually change anything right now. But if I could, let me just tell you, like, if, if it was in my power, this is what I would do, right? Yeah, I wish, you know, I wish we could have your mom here right now. That would be awesome. Like, I wish, you know, I wish that I could, like, send a magic airplane to go get her and bring her to, and you just kind of roll with it a little bit. 
Because mm-hmm. it also sort of, it, it, there's a little bit of lightness and humor there, which I think often, um, again, it just reminds us that we can lighten up a little bit and, and allows us to be a little more present for the kids when, they're, when they really need some support there. It also just feels like a really beautiful way to extend empathy. I know you're yeah. having our time and I know this is something you need and I wish, I wish I could. I wish, right? I get but it. I can't. This sucks. Yeah. Oh, Andra, it is always so impactful to chat with you and to hear your perspectives and the way in which you share some concrete ideas. I know that this conversation is going to be really well received and listened to and you know, a lot of, a lot of impactful thinking. And I also know that there might be some teachers or school leaders who are listening and are like, what else? Like, right. Like this is really hard and I've tried these strategies and I don't know what to do. What else? There are always mental health professionals either in your building or assigned to your building. Um, it's, it's this year in particular, we all know that, there are things going on that we are, have never been prepared for, mm-hmm. right? That we've never experienced, that we've never been prepared for. And so it's really about reaching out and asking for help. And if you don't know where to find help, it's about finding someone who you can ask and keep just asking until you kind of get pointed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do think a lot about safety and I think about the, the, all of the different experiences that educators and children have experienced over the last two years. And we've been out of practice. We've been out of school for a while. And as we're coming back in, like you said, there's this COVID anxiety. There's a little bit of collective trauma that's happening. And then there's also some students who've had some individual trauma. When you think about that, what is that? What do you want to think about in that area? You know, I, I always think about grace, right? Like it's just, we could tighten up and, and like try to, try to force our way through, or we could just offer ourselves and each other a little bit of grace. I think it's really important to continue to take care of ourselves and our colleagues as adults and know when we need help or know when we need some time off or, um, or whatever it is, but just just being gentle and kind to each other, it goes a long way. Thank you so much. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't wrap up our conversation today around stress and trauma and you know the idea that student behavior is a form of communication. And if we suspect that there is any type of abuse or anything happening with kids that we need to we need to report. And I think that responsibility to report goes with seeking other professionals if, if things seem like out of the norm. Sure. And, you know, again, just a reminder that reporting, it's not, you don't have to decide whether or not you need to report. Like if you think that there may be some like violence going on or kids aren't safe or anything like that, that, it's, it's always better to report and let someone else figure out what's really happening. Andra, thank you. And thank you for that reminder. So as we wrap up today, you have mentioned just 
so many strategies that are going to help teachers and school leaders make places for kids to transition back into school, back into this ritual and routine, this institution that we've had for a long time, that in some ways we've forgotten really what it looks like and sounds like. What is your call to action for our listeners? Oh, you know, somebody just sent me a meme that said, um, you know who's going through a lot right now? Literally everyone. Oh. Just be kind. I mean, I think that's really, that's, that's my takeaway. Just be kind. We are all going through a lot right now. Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. Thank you.